0: Thank you for pressing start on episode 19 of Underplayed, KZUM's indie video game podcast. Today we have two secret games, followed by a review of our featured game, 12 Minutes. Here on Underplayed, we review indie games of all kinds, the games with small budgets but big hearts, the lesser-known experiences with imaginative ideas. I'm Bopo, and joining me is my player, two, Disco-Cola. What is going on, Disco-Cola?
1: I not too much. Feel like uh, like we've done this before, maybe recently, but uh, we'll we'll go through it anyway. How are you, Bopo? I'm doing just fine, Disco-Cola. Best night ever.
0: Guess who just made dessert? <laughs> Let me know when you're in the mood. Uh, those are, of course, references to 12 Minutes, our featured game this episode... You'll hear our review in the back half of this episode. We're going to get to our secret games uh, here in the first segment. But first, I want to acknowledge a couple things. One is that early on in the season, in kind of this intro, you know, more informal, less planned part, we talked about Hollow Knight Silk Song after we reviewed <laughs> Hollow Knight, right? So we yes, reviewed yeah. Hollow Knight on episode 12. And then you know, I felt remiss not talking about or acknowledging the existence or the, you know, upcoming existence of Hollow Knight Song. So on episode 13, I think, the very next episode, we talked about that, what we know about the game and how we're anticipating, you know, maybe seeing more at some point, but we didn't know when. Well, there was an Xbox showcase uh, pretty recently as we're sitting down to record this. <laughs> And they showed off Hollow Knight Silk Song. They, mm-hmm. they played a trailer for that. And that was kind of surprising because you and I thought that that was going to be a timed exclusive on the Switch when it comes to consoles. Right. Playing at the Xbox Showcase. And they said that all of the games they showed off would be released in the next 12 months. So we might be uh, a calendar year or less away from Hollow Knight Silk Song. So I just want to acknowledge that so that if anybody hears, (laughs) if somebody hears episode 13 and goes, wait, these guys don't know what they're talking about. (laughs) We can then like a month and a half later, (laughs) play this episode for them.
1: (laughs) Hey, people in the past, from the past to the future, keep listening. Yes. We'll we'll get to
0: it. Keep listening. (laughs) Um, That doesn't work. All will work out in the end. But I think that also highlights the fact that we do this in a a very irregular way and in a very spaced out way, where we can't always address things that are timely, and we just end up screwing ourselves. Yeah, we've,
1: uh, honestly, we've had like DLC come out like soon after episodes <laughs> drop, yes. like bug snacks, and then House had DLC That's after right. that episode. Yeah, it just it happens, man. So.
0: If we we uh, end up spacing out our recordings and then our release of the episodes, so we end up we'll end up missing things and look very ignorant in that way. <laughs> but here's another way that I appear to ignorance. You're totally in the clear on this. But also in episode 12, do you remember what my secret game was? Golf story. Yeah, yeah. I guess I didn't give you a chance to guess there. <laughs> but you remember golf story? I talked about all the things I liked and disliked about that game and. One quick note I want to make. I mispronounced a name. Oh, Snoot. I mispronounced the name of the composer. So I thought that the composer's name was Joel Studier. Do you remember? Yeah, I I remember hearing that
1: name today, actually.
0: So I thought his name was S T E U D I E R. And it's actually S T E U D L E R. Oh. So it's either Studler or Stoidler or Studler. Um so I just want to acknowledge that. It's not Studier. That Shwoops. is whoops. So I'm very <laughs> certain he's probably never heard that pronunciation of oh. his last name. So I'm sorry, Joel Studler, for mispronouncing your name. I thought there was an I E R and I thought there was something French going oh, on. Oh man. And I wanted to sound all fancy. So oh, goodness. Uh, but you're you're Joel Studier to somebody out there who <laughs> Listened to episode 12, but never episode 19. Um, so that's all I wanted to say. Um, there. Now I can point to this. If anybody wants to correct me, I could say I did fix it. I did fix it. So Let's move on to our secret games.
1: Secret games. Secret
0: games. I know you're playing without me. Secret games. Well, I'm here to tell you, baby. Secret games. I've been playing too. Secret games. In secret games, we're going to each review an indie game we've been playing in secret since episode 18. We don't discuss our picks in advance. We keep them a surprise for this very moment we're sitting down to record episode 19. We can choose any indie game we want as long as we haven't reviewed it before on Underplayed. We will start with you, Disco Cola. Let the mystery be no more. Reveal your secret game
1: for episode 19. Of Underplayed. My secret game this episode is Undercoders, Treasures of the Aegean. Hey, it's that game you wanted to play in season one
0: when you played Time Spinner? Yes. uh, You ended up picking Time Spinner instead. That's
1: that's exactly it. You took the first part of my notes and set them. Uh, Yes, so I sent you the trailer. All
0: right, I'm playing it now, uh, watching it while you discuss-
1: Yes, so as you alluded to, this was, uh, I mentioned this in the episode that we did for Outer Wilds. I really wanted to play this game, but I I had a physical on the way and it wasn't here yet. And uh, couldn't afford to double dip on it for the digital as well. But um, to be honest, it would have been a much better fit for that episode. But it is still a time loop game, so it still works here. Uh, Treasures of the Aegean features the playable Marie, an athletic treasure hunter, and her partner James. Not, I don't think they're romantic partners. Sorry, I should be the more collab- clear. Collaborative partners. Yes, yes. Got it. Uh, he is. Uh, he's a history scholar interested in discovering the greater secrets of the ancient Minoan civilization. Uh, the looping nature of this game is established immediately with a cutscene that takes place at the end of a loop. Uh, After the scene plays out, it throws you back in time by a couple of hours to the start of the first loop. You are on the Santorini coast when suddenly an island erupts out of the Aegean Sea. As Marie, after getting your bearings post-explosion, you find your phone and get in touch with James uh, and set out via helicopter to explore this island that has risen from the sea. Your goal in this game is to learn as much about the Minoan civilization as possible and decipher the key to King Minos' tomb. Um, With the exception of the primary loop, uh, you land on a seemingly random point on the island, and from there you have the length of the loop to find as many pieces of the puzzle as you can. Um, Along the way you can collect things that are called artifacts, and artifacts are part of a set number. Of different items that are from ancient civilizations uh, that ultimately, in game mechanics terms, add to the total time for each successive loop. So, unlike Outer Wilds, uh, where each loop is 22 minutes, you start the game with like a 14 minute loop. And based on how many uh, artifacts you've collected, you can get up to like, I think, 24 minutes um, per loop. So yes, the more of the artifacts you have, the more time you have to find all of the different secrets and how um, all of the greater puzzle works together. Each time you find sort of like a, a key moment or a key like piece of this greater puzzle, it adds itself to the what's called the prophecy on your tablet and uh, that will help you in the next loop. Uh, So at the end of each loop, the island will begin to shake violently, and James will tell you that you have to evacuate. Uh, As you are leaving the island, however, Marie drops her tablet during the escape, uh, and once the island ultimately explodes, it takes half of the planet with it. And from there, the loop rewinds. Uh, And then before the beginning of the next loop, it shows that Marie's tablet lands in ancient Minos, travels through time. So this is clearly why Minos was so advanced. Now, a lot of that probably sounds like spoilers, um, but this is all really just at the beginning of the the game. That's the setup. Yeah, that's the setup uh, at the beginning. Um, But uh, yeah, beyond that, you have a massive, like massive map that gets roughly filled out as you go. Uh, and you are meant to jump, climb, swing, and explore all of the different nooks and crannies of Minos, solving puzzles along the way. So, things that I like about this game moving around, especially the running and the wall jumping, feels really good, especially when you're in like an uncharted area and you're just sort of blindly running and sliding through new zones filling out as much of the map as you can, uh, it feels awesome. And honestly, I might love if these like movement mechanics were simply applied to like a, a time trial platformer instead of uh, an exploration game. Um, the map is massive and varied in design and also sort of includes some Metroidvania elements. Um, while ultimately this ends up being uh, cumbersome at times, it allows a big enough canvas to really include Uh, A lot of different things, such as like erect fleet of boats, uh, a whale graveyard, as well as like the upper class city of ancient Minos in the uppermost part of the map. Um, I also love the way that the tablet records all relevant puzzle pieces in a way that's clear enough to uh, understand its purpose in its application to the puzzle, but vague enough to still appear to be. Something like historical information, something that looks like not a cave painting because it's ancient Greece. But you know what I mean? It looks like it's both a piece of the puzzle and historical information. And that's super cool. Um, I also love that it's permanent uh, when those things get recorded in your prophecy. Um, At the time that I played this, uh, there's no complete guide online for this game. So I was like totally on my own. Um, and this means that I had probably a lot more sittings with the game that I would have otherwise if there was a guide. So having that permanent record of all these different puzzle pieces really helped because I definitely would have forgotten a lot of these important puzzle pieces. Um, also, this game is delivered in a comic book art style. That doesn't play a huge role in the overall game. It's just kind of neat, and uh, whenever you load up to the title or load screen, it will say, like, Treasures of the Aegean volume whatever, oh, nice. depending on whatever loop you're on. So if you're on loop 30, it'll say Treasures of the Aegean volume XXX cool. for volume 30.
0: I've been reading lots of comic books in my spare time. And so that volume thing, I understand what that means. Yeah, yeah. I get that terminology.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely, man. Um, but yeah, all the environments are hand-drawn, including your character. Um, and so it's just, it's really nice to look at. Um the last thing I really love about this game is that the story is really intertwined with the puzzles and the puzzles are intertwined with the story. It's hard to like totally explain what I mean by that, but the puzzles themselves are telling the greater story and the story is only there because you you only find the story by finding the puzzles. I'm I'm tracking yeah. with that. Yeah. It's it's probably one of the cooler puzzle games I've played. Um, in a long time. So that's that's pretty cool. Uh, things I don't like, some of these puzzles are pretty obtuse, as we like to say. Not all, but some. Um, in addition, there's also like hidden paths, like Metroid games will sometimes have. Um, but there isn't really any point in the main path that I recall being told that hidden paths exist. Um, sometimes you'll see an artifact that clearly has no way to get to it easily sure um however at the start of the first loop you encounter a wall and marie will say oh this wall may shift with the rumbling of the island and so in my mind that says maybe there are elements on a timer here in this world and so kind of like that metroidvania
0: thing but not necessarily picking up an ability that gives you the access, but just the world is
1: changing with time, right? And
0: there were examples of that with Outer Wilds. Yeah, too. exactly. And yeah. so
1: that's where my head was, but that's just not the case. They were just hidden paths, and I didn't, I didn't know that, and I felt kind of cheated once I figured that out. Um, the physics in this game can be a little challenging to deal with. Um, so unfortunately, like certain collectibles will rely on precision in the gameplay mechanics. And the gameplay mechanics aren't quite perfect. And I had some similar issues with, like, object collision at times. Not quite perfect. Um, At certain points, uh, gameplay has sort of this auto-aim built in for jumping and running your certain objects or platforms. Um, While in general it's incredibly helpful, especially with climbing, uh, there are certain puzzles where it becomes more of a problem than anything. Um and uh, there are a few too many artifacts to find. So um, huge completionists are going to have like a hard time because this map is huge. There's nothing that you can unlock that sort of marks where they are, other than the marker system that's built into the game. Um, translation could have used an additional proofread. I believe this game comes out of France originally. Um so there there were a couple a few too many grammatical errors I think um but it also has me wondering like how how many games deal with this when they're translated from English and I'm curious about how how well other games are translated around the world. Um and the last thing that I don't love quite as much is that you can't change direction mid jump which is not something you think about a lot uh, cuz most games have it but Um, I think it's very intentional in this case. Uh, something I haven't mentioned yet is that you can take fall damage in this game, and this is something I actually really like about Treasures of the Aegean, because it's very clear, uh, through multiple layers of feedback when you've reached that threshold for taking fall damage, and it sort of creates a way for you to slow down just a little bit so you're not just totally blowing through the whole map. Um but people that are experienced with platformers will have a hard time getting used to some of the jumping because you won't be able to change direction. Mm -hmm. Um, I I do appreciate that they grounded you somewhat in reality, even though you're just this insane parkour master. (laughs) Um, But uh, not being able to change direction mid-jump added quite a few seconds to some of my loops that I otherwise would have not had to deal with. Sure, and
0: looking at the trailer... Jumping is all over the place in this thing. I mean, it is central to what you're doing. It's it's like everything. You're jumping off walls. You're (laughs) running and sliding, pushing, pulling things, and jumping on those things you push and pull. So, yeah. Yeah,
1: It's nuts. Um, So, yeah. Treasures of the Aegean has a lot to offer for a lot of different kinds of platformer fans. I don't think it executes any one of its individual elements to perfection except for running, climbing, and sliding. Um the overworld is incredibly interactive and the hierarchy of puzzles is incredibly fascinating. Um I can only really see myself revisiting this maybe one more time to see if I'm able to finish the full greater puzzle in the first loop. Uh but otherwise I think I've I'm probably done with it. Um but I want to give Treasures of the Aegean a 7.5 out of 10.
0: Very nice. Yeah, I love the style in this trailer I'm looking at. I love the use of onomatopoeia. You know, you see like words like boom and crash and things like that when when uh, your character's like interacting with the environment, or just when it's showing you a little bit of the uh, some of the cutscenes and things like that. Also, I kind of see the relation you were talking about with this and Outer Wilds. How it might have been like more of a comfortable match Mm -hmm. with Outer Wilds. Like I see learning about the Minoans versus learning about the Nomai. Right. You know, there's that going on. So you mentioned there are Metroidvania elements where you might run into something you can't quite access or interact with yet. Are there good visual uh, markers for those kinds of things, things that clue you in to revisiting a spot later once you have a certain ability or once a certain amount of time has passed?
1: Yes and no. So... You don't gain any ability. Well, that's not true. You do gain some abilities, but they don't they're not puzzle-based abilities. They don't help you traverse the world. Um, so everything that you can do you can do from the start. There are some visual markers that indicate that, but they don't play a huge role. But the big like visual indicator is um they still manage to find a way to do the metroidvania thing where you are very in very distinct areas. And they do that a lot through the use of color. Um, so I mentioned the whale graveyard. Uh, so as long as you remember, maybe something that you saw you couldn't quite remember how to get to, if you remember that it was near a bunch of whale bones, that clues you in as to where to go. Um, or like the underground is very, a very dark blue. Um, there's an area uh, in the middle of the map where all the rocks are pink. The use of different colors uh, and certain uh, environmental pieces help you remember how to go, where to go back to. If you can sort of visually remember what you were looking at when you found that obstacle.
0: Very nice. Well, it seems like Treasures of the Aegean has a great mix of a lot of the genres you and I enjoy, like puzzling, uh, Metroidvania stuff, action adventure, platforming. Like this sounds like something I would maybe like to check out. So um, did you say the platforms?
1: No, uh, I played the physical PS4 edition distributed through limited run games. Uh, Treasures of the Aegean is also available on PS5, Switch, Xbox one, series X and S uh, and PC.
0: Well, very nice. That's disco Cola's secret game. Treasures of the Aegean. It's time for my secret game. And our two secret games might have a little bit more in common than I was expecting. Actually, I, Try to pick something that's different than our featured game. So I picked a 3D side-scrolling runner that was released last year, but I see so much running and jumping going on in your game that, wow, this might have surprise synergy here. My secret game is Aerial Knights Never Yield.
1: Ooh, I I have actually heard of this. Perfect. So uh, I've got the trailer here. I'm going to check it out while you're talking.
0: So this came out last year. It was developed by Ariel Knight, uh, hence the name. Uh, Ariel Knight is the pseudonym of Neil Jones, and I believe it is Neil's first game. And it was published by Head Up Games. I'm going to read the game synopsis from the Steam storefront. Quote, Survive a futuristic Tokyo-style Detroit in this 3D runner that tells the story of Wally, who has uncovered the evidence that can change his city forever. Explore a game world with a dope-tastic soundtrack featuring the authentic sounds of Detroit artists. End quote. So, in this game, you're playing as Wally, who seemingly breaks out of some kind of a containment center, and he's running from robots. And it also seems like Wally is an android or maybe an experiment subject of some kind, but it's not totally clear. I might be reading into it a little far, but the story is completely wordless. You're just watching these very, very brief cutscenes. So what I told you in that game synopsis from Steam is actually more story than the game gives you. So Ooh. a lot of this I'm reading into. Love it. As you run through these 13 levels, uh, you get to see a nice futuristic Detroit with various obstacles and you have to jump over, slide under or even sprint through all the obstacles that range from glass windows, uh fences, mines, there are big exploding tanks, uh vehicles that pursue you on the road and there are checkpoints sprinkled throughout all the stages. What's interesting about this is the entire game can be controlled with one half of a controller if you're using uh Let's say, you know, a dual sense on the PS5, you can just use the D-pad, or you can just use the face buttons uh, because all of the actions are just four inputs. It's that mid-jump, high jump, slide, or sprint. That's really all you're doing. Ooh. Um, and then after most stages, you unlock a costume that you can dress Wally in. There are three difficulties: normal, hard, and I believe insane. And the story, like I said, is very minimal, completely wordless, happening in brief moments between the stages. Uh, You can unlock a handful of bonus stages that give more difficult challenges. And there was recently DLC for this game as well uh, called Da Update that adds an endless mode that has you running around a gymnasium um, evading a random assortment of obstacles. What I liked most about Aerial Knights Never Yield far and away was the soundtrack. Uh, The soundtrack has an awesome mix of hip-hop and jazz. I feel like the soundtrack is what gives this game its energy and its style, and it's even something that I've gone back and listened to outside of the game, so that's how I know that it's going to (laughs) be among my favorite soundscapes of season two. Yeah. And so I have to give big props to Daniel Wilkins and Neil, uh, the main developer of this game, who collaborated on the soundtrack for this. Uh, And it's a game you can enjoy no matter your experience level. That's another uh, thing I would shout out about this game. If you're someone who is not very talented at fast reaction times, you could play this on normal um, or even hard, and the game will give you some really nice slowdown effects before obstacles that allow you time to react. Mm -hmm. Um, And I actually played this game in its entirety at first on normal because I knew I could complete all of the trophies on normal difficulty. So I thought, why give myself that extra challenge? Hard's probably going to be way too hard for me. Mm-hmm. And I actually found normal to be very, very accessible. And I ended up playing this game twice, because I did 100% on the trophies on both the PS4 and the PS5 version. Wow, look at you. Um, so <laughs> when I did that second one, I did the hard mode, and I thought that was a really great balance. And the game also gives you really nice color-coded cues about what obstacles are coming up. So if there's an obstacle that requires you to do the high jump, it will flash a little red symbol on your screen. Red is the color that you associate with that kind of jump. And then blue is the color you associate with sprinting. And purple, I believe, is the color you associate with sliding under things. So um, you learn that language very quickly. You know what to look out for. And... Some of that more challenging content for skilled players is there. If a lot of this sounds a little bit too easy or accessible, Um, there is challenge in this game and it is quite hard if you want it to be. I think the rhythm in this game is really fun. The challenge is also really fair considering the amount of checkpoints. Uh, I think they're just the right amount of checkpoints. And I think what's inherently cool is the bright and futuristic visual style of this Detroit as well. Um, some things that didn't click with me as much, the story being so vague, uh there's more story in that storefront description. So if the game wants to have a story, um I think it can just do a little bit more, uh not even with words necessarily, but just fill out some of those um scenes in between levels. There are some levels after which you receive a cutscene, and I swear the cutscene is less than eight or ten seconds. I mean it is brief. And okay. there's not a lot going on in that. So mm-hmm. why why have that, I, I ask. Um, sometimes navigating the menus is clunky. It's not always easy to select things. You have to press a button or click the stick a few times to get it to kind of register. And I thought the communication of the difficulties was a little off. Like normal ended up being too easy. Like I would call normal easy and I would call it hard normal, maybe. Um, I just thought that the slowdown on normal was probably way too slowed down. And then uh, something that's kind of odd that was really jarring a few times was there's this incredibly loud buzzing sound when I would die sometimes. There's some audio glitch where my speakers would just blast sound at me for oh. a few seconds until I hit restart or something like that. So That was a little off and... It's not every time? Not every time. Oh, okay. You don't know when it's going to happen. And that happened on the PS5 version. I can't remember if it happened on both PS5 and PS4, but it happened on the PS5 version. Um, But overall, Aerial Nights Never Yield. I think it's a fun arcade experience uh, for an afternoon. If you want to sit down and just knock something out, it's a pretty short experience. And I recommend you try out a few of the difficulties to narrow down what will be most fun for you. Um, it's got an amazing soundtrack. It clearly has a style. Uh, but if you're looking for a story, this is quite bare. I'm going to rate this a 7 out of 10. And cool. it's playable on PC, Mac, iOS, Android, Nintendo Switch, PS4, which I played on it after my initial playthrough. PS5, which is what I played it on uh, for my initial playthrough. Xbox One and Xbox Series X and S. So <laughs> tons everything. of everything. everything. I should have just said everything. Um,
1: so, yeah. Awesome, uh, yeah. Looking at it, I totally see why um, you're you're drawing comparisons to the Treasures of the Aegean movement. This is essentially what I'm talking about when I'm th- when I'm saying like, if Treasures of Aegean was just did the movement, st- it's essentially this game. So what I'm saying is, yeah. I want to play this game. Yeah, I think you'd have fun with it. I think, think I would too. I think yeah. it looks awesome, and, um, and
0: it's instantly understandable. I like that too. You know, four buttons. You can put the controller in somebody's hands. Um, even if they haven't really heard of the game they can just kind of start playing it so mm. that's another strength to it
1: playing with one hand is actually something that uh, i wish i could do more of now that i have to like hold an infant hold a baby and hold a controller, you should yeah. record yourself doing those <laughs> two things at the same time
0: with Aerial knights never yield yeah.
1: um yeah i think this looks great uh i i think i want to pick it up i remember we might have been talking about the idea of Underplayed when this trailer dropped because I remember watching a showcase that featured this yeah it would have been about that time Yeah, so um, I I remember it stood out in my mind uh, and uh, I I am very interested in this
0: well I ended up getting two platinums with this game the PS4 and PS5 versions and I also did 100% on the trophies I mentioned the update DLC Mm. and that introduced three trophies Tied to that endless mode when you're running around a gymnasium, mm-hmm. um, and one of those trophies in the update requires you to play the endless mode perfectly for about thirty minutes. Oof. You can't you can't make a mistake for about thirty minutes. That and sounds daunting, very daunting, very stressful. <laughs> and I got the first two of the three DLC trophies on the PS5 version. And I looked up what it would take to get that third because the first two were relatively easy. And I go, oh man, I'd have to survive like dozens of minutes. And I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I have the equipment in my body to do that. (laughs) Uh, So I put the game down for a couple of days and then I decided to try it. I don't know what struck me, but I just wanted to try it again. I thought, you know what? I'm just one trophy away from that 100%. And I usually care more about the Platinum than the 100%. That's how we're different. You usually mm-hmm. like to chase that 100% no matter what. I thought, you know what? Maybe that is attainable. Maybe I just played that game for too long in one stretch that day, and I just got tired. Maybe I should just try that Endless mode now. And I ended up doing it in that that sit-down. I didn't do it the first try or the second or third try, but I eventually did it. And so then, 100%ing the PS5 version, I thought, I could try to do the PS4 version. Now that I'm so practiced at the game, I know what the story mode is like. I know what to expect. I could try to get one of the fastest times maybe, on 100% on uh, PSN profiles, which is a site you can go see to track uh, what trophies people have, how quickly they've achieved a platinum trophy, for instance. And so I committed a few hours to doing the PS4 version I ended up 100 percenting the PS4 version in an hour and 45 minutes, which is on PSN profiles, as we sit down to record this, the fastest time in the world. Nice. So I have that record uh, now, and I'm looking, I have the one hour, 45 minute time. Second place is three hours, 53 minutes. And then everybody after that is like a day or more. Yeah, so I'm far and away in first place, and that's that's an open challenge. Yeah, except no, not anymore. It's going to get broken now. (laughs) It's going to get broken now. So, if people want to break it, that's totally fine. That would actually make me super happy. So,
1: I actually have a similar story with Treasures of the Aegean. Um, Now, also on PSN profiles, uh, there's there's something that that you call stacks. There's different stacks. Um Treasures of the Aegean has a lot of those uh because of its wide international release. Okay. But in the North American PS4 version, I am not only the fastest 100% completer, I am the first 100% completer. That's amazing. Because I'm the only 100% completer. <laughs> no way.
0: But how many people does it say have the game, like game owners? Can you look at that? Let's see. 8 Wow, that is a super unknown game. Yeah. That's a super might unknown game. might
1: be our most underplayed. game. <laughs> it might be. Um, I think the
0: only other one that low might be like Balthazar's Dream. Yeah. But There's, that's super obscure, dude.
1: I like it's I think the European um stacks have a few more players. Uh but okay. yeah, super obscure and I don't know why because it's solid, you know. Yeah. It got a physical release too and like all the people that were watching the physical release were like, "Oh, this looks pretty good." Huh.
0: Wow. I don't know. Well, we might have another additional bonus discussion uh, about trophies with 12 minutes because I also chased a really fast stack of those trophies (laughs) uh, the past few weeks. So, Getting those fast stacks. (laughs) Those fast stacks. So that's a good segue. Uh, Those are our secret games. Treasures of the Aegean and Aerial Knights never yield. Let's move on to our review of 12 minutes. It is our featured game. 12 Minutes is a 2021 interactive thriller slash puzzle game slash time loop game developed by Luis Antonio and published by Annapurna Interactive. Oh, (laughs) never heard that name before. Who's that? I'm going to read the game synopsis from the Steam storefront. Quote, an interactive thriller about a man trapped in a time loop featuring James McAvoy, Daisy Ridley, and Willem Dafoe. End quote. I actually think that's a pretty terrible that's synopsis. That's not very, in, not encompassing at all. No. But I think what it does highlight is that uh, this game is very sensitive when it comes to spoilers. And I think it's being very light with its story synopsis so that people go into this thing as fresh as possible. Mm -hmm. And I know lots of people spoil themselves on what's going on in 12 minutes or people have heard a little bit more of an expanded synopsis going into this thing and that's what interests them. Maybe they hear about what the construction of the time loop looks like. Maybe they learn about what the first loop uh, contains as far as events. And so we will talk about a few of those things and here's the moment where I would remind listeners for these kinds of story-heavy games where spoilers are very likely, even on minor things, go play the game. Uh, Try out 12 Minutes if it interests you in any way, and then come back. I think this is a good place to pause the episode, but if you want to keep listening, we're going to set up the game a little bit more, but not spoiling that much. And overall, we're going to keep all the big twists in this game—a secret. We're not going to spoil those things. Oh, we're not. So we're going oh, to. Okay. We're going to allude to things very vaguely. I'm glad I <laughs> set this up this way so that we were on the same page. Ah,
1: shoot! I have to change all my notes. Okay. Um, I hope that's. I'm hope being, being. Yes, I'm being facetious. Good. Um,
0: (laughs) Well, it'll make some parts challenging to talk about, but I think we can, we've done it several times already, 19 episodes in, we've had to do it on mini games. So I think we can do it with this one too, but uh, I'll set up the game more. In this game, it's a top down perspective. You can walk around, pick up objects, talk to other characters and interact with certain parts of your environment. It plays a lot like a point and click adventure. That's another genre classification I could have set up top. You play as a man coming home to his apartment he shares with his wife, and the apartment is quite small. The rooms are uh, your living and kitchen area, kind of combined space, um, a closet, a bathroom, and a bedroom. And when you get home, your wife talks to you, and she's prepared dessert, (laughs) and (laughs) um, you ease into a conversation with her, and she tells you that she is pregnant. Congratulations. Right. So it's a very happy moment. After about 10 minutes, a cop arrives at your door and asks to come in. And you can let him in, and he'll come in. If you don't let him in, he'll barge his way in. <laughs> so he's coming in. And when he comes in, he asks you to turn around so he can handcuff you. And he handcuffs both you and your wife. Um, and then he accuses your wife of murdering her father and stealing something that's valuable. (laughs) And then the cop strangles the husband to coerce the wife to give up information on the object she stole. And then you die before she can cough up any of that information. And when you die, you're back at the entrance of your apartment uh, 10 minutes ago or so, and you have now entered the time loop of this game. So that's how brief it is. Uh, And if you let things play out the exact same way, he'll come back, he'll come into the apartment, he will strangle you and kill you. If you try to leave the apartment, like go out into the hallway, that will reset the loop too. It'll kind of flash and just reset the room and you're back in that uh, kitchen slash living room area. And so- The central goals of this are to find out what to say or do to the characters to influence different outcomes, Um, to find out what the cop wants. Like, why is he interrupting our lives and killing me? And what is, why does he want this object my wife stole? Why does he know what she did to her father? Is that even true? Yeah. And then, what does your wife know that you don't? And then, many other things that stem from these topics. So, that is just the baseline what happens. And it goes in wild directions from there. That's all I'll say. So, Disco Cola, this game was nominated for Best Independent Game at the 2021 Game Awards. Okay. So, it was one of the handful nominated for that esteemed award. This is also an Annapurna game and the second major Time Loop game we've reviewed for our featured game slots. And I also recall you being very excited. And saying that you wanted to play this game so bad from our last episode of season one where we picked all of our featured games for our lineup for season two. Yeah. You said, I'm so excited. I want to play it so bad. I think you even had a quick anecdote about somebody asking if this was going to be one of your secret games. Maybe yeah. Maybe for the yeah, Outer yeah. Wilds episode or something like that. But you said you were pretty sure we would pick this as a featured game because it was a little bit more talked about mm-hmm. last year especially. It's got Willem Dafoe it's got sake. it's got big <laughs> ma- James McAvoy Daisy Ridley too so it's got these big actors attached to it so you nabbed this game very eagerly when we were building our list of 10 featured games can you explain anything else that was alluring about it to you or, or like what drew you to this game and made you say I want to play this so bad
1: uh well I mean Willem Dafoe was in a, a, a video game for one like that that's a pretty <laughs> big draw in itself um I had watched uh one or two loops uh done by a streamer that I used to watch um oh. back when the game first came out I think and I was very fascinated by all of the different items that I saw that you could interact with and what they did as far as affecting the loop and so I kind of turned off the stream from there and uh was really fascinated to give it a shot for myself
0: So you're interested in the talent you're interested in The potential of how you play with this world Mm -hmm. and walk around in it, use items on certain things in the environment or use items on other people, maybe. Um, So, Disco Cola, were your expectations met? What are your overall thoughts on 12 Minutes?
1: Well, my overall thoughts, like we've said, a surprisingly stacked cast. Um, However, having played it, when I first turned it on, I didn't know Daisy Ridley and James McAvoy were in the game. Oh. Uh, I, I knew Willem Dafoe was in it, and I thought it, that was like, that's the one we can afford, so here we go. <laughs> uh, but I saw James McAvoy and Daisy Ridley as too. But having played it, at first I didn't even recognize that it was them. And even still being done, I still can't tell that James McAvoy is the main character. I still can't tell that that's him. So I kind of I wish that they would have... Um, uh, done it in their native, native uh, voices, but uh, yeah. So that part of what allured you,
0: the talent part, maybe you're more attracted to the Willem Dafoe thing, but the other names, that's kind of out. Yeah. Right? So yeah, the other thing comes down to the gameplay and like what, how you use objects and how you're uncovering these mysteries. Right.
1: Right. And I think I think there's an impressive amount of scenarios programmed into the game. Um, but at the same time, there's a number of scenarios that, in my mind, seem logical if you set them up. If you set up these dominoes in a certain way, but they they don't play out. It just sort of skips this thing that you set up meticulously that any reasonable person, you know, might approach. Uh, but just sort of skips that, and the cop still kills you anyway. Um, the game's main twist. Super unexpected and wild, like yeah. in capital letters, super wild. Yeah, it's banana sandwiches. <laughs> not quite the wildest thing I've seen with Willem Dafoe, mm. but it's definitely like up there. <laughs> yeah, if you consider all of his filmography. It's, I have, yeah. it's, we're not talking about the lighthouse, but uh, it's, <laughs> it's still pretty crazy. Um, I like that this game tracks dialogue options that you've previously selected, um, I can never remember things like that, especially after so many loops, um, and and I couldn't get through all of it in one sitting, so I really appreciate that it's sort of like grayed out stuff that you've already tried. My biggest complaint, and I alluded to it earlier, is that uh, some characters act irrationally or illogically. I'm thinking mostly of the cop. Like I alluded to, I can set up some scenarios where... Most of his behavior would dictate that he would leave the apartment if I set things up this way. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. Um, but on the flip side, later on in the game, he's, uh, he's really easy to convince of certain things. So I felt a, a, a little bit of a disconnect there. And as, as I was writing my notes, uh, I did start to think that it worked a lot like a one-room play which oh. is something that we've established in the past on the show that I dislike quite a bit. <laughs> um, but I can say confidently that this is my favorite one-room play. Wow. If you consider it a one-room play. Yeah, it's a very
0: unconventional one <laughs> yeah. and one you wouldn't see played out on stage at a theater. But very much has that construction of being in an intimate space, small cast
1: members, and everything feels close. Yes. Everything feels close. And you have to have a lot of dialogue that sometimes doesn't feel like it is a natural conversation just yes. because you're filling out exactly. that lack of action. Yeah. You don't know
0: who these characters are going in. So right. So you get a little bit, bit of that through their conversations just in that 10 minutes before the cop arrives. Mm-hmm. So,
1: yeah. um, I find that it was pretty fun to figure out the logic of a lot of the elements at play here. Um, but there are more than one solutions that I would have never probably figured out on my own, at least not for a very long time. Um, So I did have to consult a guide a few more times than I care to admit. I'd say that 12 minutes is one of the more enjoyable puzzle games I've played in recent years. Uh, Maybe it's the repetitive nature of the time loop, allowing me to try different combinations of actions. Um, but it didn't quite meet the expectations that I had for the game when I first learned about it and uh, looked at some gameplay.
0: Okay, so what do you score 12 minutes?
1: I score 12 minutes a 7 out of 10.
0: All right, respectable score. You enjoyed this one. It's time for my overall thoughts. <laughs> and... <laughs> so <laughs> my overall thoughts. Overall, I did not enjoy playing this game. Yeah. And my expectations were not met. Yeah. But I will start with what I liked because there are a good handful of things I did like. So I like the top down perspective in this game. I like seeing the entire room I'm in, being able to see no matter if I walk into the bedroom, bathroom, or I'm just in the main living room, kitchen space, being able to see everything is always really nice. There's no question as to where things are usually. Um, and I like, you know, you talked about setting up the dominoes. I would take that a step further and calling it setting up a mouse trap. Mm. You know, if you ever played the game mousetrap, I could never get it to work. <laughs> right. Hey, that might be an, an apt comparison to this game for me too, but no, um, there are certain sequences where you don't set up a mousetrap to do the whole game, but you do a mousetrap to get a piece of information or to get a character to do something and I liked some of those individual mousetrap moments. It was exciting because a lot of them required a certain sequence of events, timed out in a specific way, and it was dependent on what the other two characters were doing, the non-playable mm-hmm. characters. And so it gave me a rush trying to do those things in a timely manner, uh, sometimes doing something out of sight of another character. So they didn't know I was doing something or doing something before the cop arrives, for instance. And I loved that exhilaration of just, I need to get this done. There's an urgency, right? And it's very similar to other time loop games like outer wilds. Like I think of the ash twins where, you know, one planet is losing sand. Another planet is filling up with sand, you know, and that causes you to rush to places that kind of thing. Is happening in this game. And I like all the ways you can use objects to interact with each other or with parts of the environment. So I did some research after I did my playthroughs of this game and I didn't ever experiment with this, but apparently you can like flush things down the toilet. (laughs) I did do that. Did you do that? Okay. So confirmed you can do that. I didn't get to do that, but I just love the idea that you can do that. Um, There's a knife in the kitchen. You can use the knife on Objects around the apartment, like there is a faulty light switch. And I'm not going to spoil what that light switch does, but you can, like, apparently use the knife on the light switch, you know? (laughs) So you can, like, find different weird combinations of things to do. And you can also use items on yourself. And I'm not going to spoil anything about that, but there's a whole world of possibilities there. And I just feel like this always led to many possibilities to try, a lot of experimentation that was exciting. I also like that all of your small decisions can have big outcomes. If you're doing a sequence of things, you can change one little thing, and it might uh, drastically change the path you're on and make it more interesting or make it different than the last time you tried something. So the game pays attention to some small things you do. And like you said, I think this game does a thing that's necessary in time loop games, which is let my character hold on to information. Conversations I've had, the options are grayed out, like you said. Uh, You interact with phones eventually in this game, and you need to call phone numbers. And your character just remembers phone numbers, and you can select from your contact list almost, you know, on the side.
1: This person grew up before the internet, that's for sure.
0: I love that I can just click on a contact, and it does. I don't have to remember the phone number. Um, It seems like it's a no-brainer thing, but I still really appreciated that. Because I still had that, like... I, uh, I wrote down the
1: phone number when I discovered it. I was like, oh, God, I'm, I have to remember this. But, yeah,
0: because I guess you don't know. You don't know until yeah. the next time. And then another little detail I really think is cool. There are these really eerie, subtle changes in the paintings hung around the apartment as you progress and learn more information. And I only knew this because they're tied into trophies. Mm-hmm. and You have to, like, look at the paintings. But I think that's really cool that only a, a fraction of the players who get into 12 minutes will notice. And so I love those little eerie haunting details. Now, my dislikes with 12 minutes, I have like eight or nine overarching problems with 12 minutes. Oh, that's, okay. That's... So strap in. Okay. I'm going to try not to go too long on this, but there's a wide variety of problems I have with this. Okay. So the repetition, you talked about how, you know, that's kind of cool. The repetition allows you to try new things. There were some sequences where I was trying to find another clue where I just found the repetition uh, monotonous and painful, especially if you're forced to endure an uncomfortable moment or a gruesome moment Mm -hmm. over and over and over. Sometimes I became desensitized to things, but other times I just kind of became almost sick to my stomach, seeing something gruesome over and over and over. It's like, oh, I got to do that whole loop again because I did something at the end wrong. Yeah. you know, So I have to sit through that gruesome thing again. Um, and it can feel easy to miss information near the end of a loop, especially if you're having a conversation and that loop doesn't let you get through all of the dialogue options. And then it feels like you have to spend another 10 minutes doing another loop just to get to that conversation and just to get those other two dialogue options you didn't get to, because what if those lead to a clue? I don't know right this game's a little obtuse with things, so I feel remiss not doing that. The control mechanics for me can feel clunky. I felt like the movement was delayed in a weird way yeah uh i'm I played this on p s four and p s five so I don't know what was going on, but I felt like I would input an action and it would just be a little bit too delayed. And sometimes if you're doing an action and you feel like your character's most of the way through doing the action, you start to do another action, but that can actually be too soon oh, and it will cancel. It cancels, cancels. It cancels oh, out. It's all like all the oh, time. That happened to me a lot. And it's like, oh, I gotta be a little bit more patient with I, I have can... to wait for him to set down the cup on the table. Fill the mug all the way, filling the wow. mug with water. Just a little, a little too long on that stuff. And then on the story. Uh The twist, the big twist, there are lots of twists in this game, but the big, big twist I found very off-putting because it's a very taboo thing. It's a very crazy banana sandwiches thing, and it's okay for the game to have that, but I feel like it doesn't earn it, and it doesn't reckon with it in a way that I found satisfying. I feel like the game... Introduces this crazy thing, and it has this responsibility to reckon with it, indict it, talk about it, address it, and um, it just doesn't do that. I feel like it shocks the player for shock's sake. I agree. And so I just wish that that twist happened in a more meaningful way. And I think it could have been more meaningful with a really satisfying ending, but I feel like the destination in this game kind of sucks. I feel like it kind of sucks. Uh, it was not this grand thing that I felt like this game was building up to that I thought it was. So um, And then, you know, on all those mouse traps that you're building, the game isn't about building the perfect mouse trap, but rather building all these smaller mouse traps. And I didn't always know when I should move on to the next mousetrap.
1: Mm, mm. You know what I mean?
0: And this might be more of a me thing, but I would become crippled with indecision. You know, it's like, should I keep doing the sequence of events to make the cop do X thing and make my wife say Y thing? Should I keep trying to do that, but change one little thing? Or should I try to invent a whole new mousetrap? And I don't know what's best. I don't know. I don't know how the game fixes that. I think that's kind of a me thing and the game thing.
1: Well, I I feel the same thing on the first like two whole sittings of the game I was stuck pretty much doing the same sequence of events cuz I mm-hmm. I thought I was onto something and that this would ultimately lead me to the conclusion because I was getting very far in the loop before mm-hmm. I was killed and so I thought this is the right path and I was stuck on that for a long time and ultimately there's just way more to do.
0: Yeah. Um and I just found that Solutions are you know too obtuse, like you said, overly hidden. I would lose patience so badly with some of the solutions that I looked a few things up to mm-hmm. finish this game, and I never liked doing that at all. I had to do that um I also minor annoyance, but it can completely stop you from making progress, in my opinion, but your character says and learns. A certain thing for picking up an item, which you think is all you need to do with some items. But then when it's in your inventory, you can actually interact with it, which is a different action than picking it up. And your character will say or learn different things for interacting with it. And that's what kept me from making progress. And when I looked up that solution, I was like, really? It was there? (laughs) Like I wasn't actually missing something it was just that I had to go into my inventory and interact with it. Okay. So it was an easy to miss thing, but it was also a hard to miss thing at the same time. And I felt like that was unfair. Um, I felt dumb with some of the solutions. I felt like they were so unintuitive. They made me feel dumb. It's like if I had to make a metaphor for some of this stuff, I would say like, it's like making mac and cheese, but instead of Where are the seasonings? Uh, How much cheese powder do you add? It's more like, did you know you can move the pot of mac and cheese from the stovetop to the microwave halfway through? And then that makes a completely different meal. It's like, oh, really? I didn't know that. So I, but I knew all the time that that microwave was there and that the stovetop was there, you know, but never in my mind would I think to move the pot from the stovetop to the microwave, you know? So there's that. Then. There are the performers. I feel like the performers were picked for the name recognition, and that's it. But I will say Willem Dafoe has an iconic voice. He always does well. I like listening to him. He can give the performance across the entire cast this certain weight. But like you, I would never guess in 100 years that the other two are Daisy Ridley and James McAvoy. I feel like they did that to put their names on the cover Mm -hmm. and to attract people because they recognize those names. And I feel like that's a little cheap. Uh, the game might benefit from a journal. Uh, there's very little direction in what is most important or even the totality of what I should be looking for. So maybe a journal could be helpful in this game. I'm not sure. One of the first moments of confusion I had in this game was when I was doing something, my wife was doing something and the cop was doing something all at the same time. And then we were kind of talking over each other and there was this cacophony of noise happening. And so sometimes things can overlap or synchronize in a way that's Jarring, uh, and then I have my final complaint is just when is it done? The game ends like six times, and by the time it's actually done, I'm still not sure. Even so, uh, the game trains me to think the game is not done. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, so overall, you got, we got through it. That was it. That was my gauntlet of criticisms. Twelve minutes of, of
1: criticism. 12,
0: yes, it probably was. <laughs> so overall, twelve minutes. I think it sets itself apart from other time loop games. Um, I think there's a fascinating amount of ways to interact with items and characters. Um, It's a game that is all about the journey and not the destination, but the journey, I think, is problematic because it shocks for shock's sake without a lot of worthwhile things to say. And I'd go a step beyond and say this game might be exploitive and morally bankrupt Oh, uh, with a wide variety of artistic and technical issues. Um, So I'm going to give this a four out of ten. Dang! Does that sound like a fair score with what I have laid out?
1: Yeah, and and I would say like a seven for me is similar, probably to a four for you, because like I also, I I share a lot, pretty much all of the same criticisms. I don't go quite as far to call it morally bankrupt, I suppose, but yeah, uh, yeah, I share a lot of the same criticisms. I didn't have a lot of fun, unfortunately, but. I was still impressed by certain things, which is probably why it's more of a 7 instead of like a 5.5 for me. It is certainly unlike other things
0: we've played. Yeah. Even compared to our other time loop game, there are enough differences to make it a completely different experience. Oh, yeah. And I actually wrote down differences between this and Outer Wilds. For instance, in Outer Wilds, we talked about how if... I had never played that game before, and you had. You could sit me down and tell me what to do, and I could do all of Outer Wilds in twenty-two minutes, or maybe a couple loops, like, but seven, yeah. within an hour. Yeah, you and I could. You could show me how to do that game. Um, this game, you can't do it all on your first loop. Uh, you have to discover information to unlock information to unlock information to unlock information. You have to do like I think in minimum, it's.
1: 15, I think, is what I looked at. It's like at
0: least a dozen uh, loops that you have to do to get to the end of this thing. And you don't discover the perfect loop. There are several endings Mm -hmm. to this game that require dozens of those loops to access. Um, And then you don't have really like that ship log. You don't have the equivalent of the ship log from Outer Wilds telling you what general direction to walk in. You kind of just use your memory of what you've already accessed. And when you talk to your wife, what new dialogue options are there available to you that you didn't
1: have last? Right. And if you're um, going into like a second sitting, like you have to, if you maybe start down this path that maybe you already have pretty much always, already explored all of, you don't know that until you're like in the dialogue options and you're like, oh, this run, this run's already dead because I've already done all these things. Exactly. And I don't remember that I did that. Exactly.
0: And there isn't as much of an excuse to, kind of blindly give up the path you're on and just go in a completely wild different direction because you're in this small apartment and once you kind of start down a path you're kind of committed that's your loop for that time whereas in outer wilds if i go to a planet and i'm trying to get to the tower of quantum knowledge and i can't figure out how to get up there on brill hollow well there's like there's 14 other places on brill hollow i can go try in the next like 7 minutes before the sun supernovas mm-hmm. so Hey, I can at least try to uh, salvage something here. So um, one moment that I thought was a great combination of moments and emotion was the playthrough for the Groundhog achievement slash trophy. And this has you playing out the perfect date with your wife. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that's where this game was firing on all cylinders. I thought that's where the game was expertly telling you how to set up the game so that the cop doesn't interrupt your life, um, how to have the perfect conversation with your wife. The music happening in that scene is beautiful. Even though you're not interacting with the cop in that loop, you're hearing what's happening on his side still, uh, Mm -hmm. being as vague as possible with talking about it. So I thought that that moment-to-moment was very well-paced, and allowed you to see a broad range of things. Um, So I was wondering, was there a kind of loop that you enjoyed doing? Again, being kind of vague with spoilers, (laughs) but is there a way to talk about that?
1: Well, yeah, I would say so. There's one, it doesn't include any of the endings, but when I was talking about being stuck in a rut, essentially of trying to do the same thing over and over and over again, part of it, I suppose, is because I liked all of the way those different pieces interacted um and so just like figuring out what small details maybe i can change during this dessert dinner uh that might change what happens with the cop in a little bit um and so i i liked how all of those different elements uh and and some of the stuff that you bring in from again trying to be vague but kind of gives it away from bring in from the bathroom it, some sure. of those elements yes um and how that all plays out i got stuck in that rut because i found it very fascinating and interesting mm. um and uh it was one of the uh, i saw a part of that loop mm. when i saw that streamer playing i was like oh wow this is very like trying to figure all this out this this you know digging deep into the uh way the different elements work yeah that part was the part that i enjoyed the most about the game uh, but that kind of loop was where it did most of that digging sure. into the game mechanics, yeah, some
0: interesting moments are when you put yourself into another character's shoes about what logically they would react to, and you said sometimes that works in a way that's intuitive and sometimes it doesn't. He just yeah. the couple just ignore things, but yeah, that was I would often take all the items i had available that i knew were in this apartment and i would just mentally go through a list of matching up those items to other items and then also then all of them to my wife and then all of them to the cop and then if i get this kind of reaction out of my wife then if i show the cop this thing does that do i get a different outcome there because i showed my wife this item first mm-hmm. you know so i it, i did all of those combinations in my mind. And that was really fascinating. And then there are certain things you just do at a certain time in the loop to get certain things to trigger or activate or not activate. And one of the things that I missed, and again, we've been dancing around spoilers. This is a little bit more spoilery as far as like what you can do in the game, but still very innocent in the grand scheme of things. When you get home, there's that closet that you can open and you can go into and find a phone in there. And you can go in and, like, close yourself in the closet. Mm-hmm. And I found that out early, that you can go in the closet, close yourself in. But what I was stuck on for way too long was when you get home, I didn't realize you can shut yourself in the closet immediately, and your wife is in the bathroom with the door closed. She won't know your home mm-hmm. if you're in the closet with the door closed. I didn't figure that out, <laughs> you know, but I figured out way more crazy, weird things than that. And so that was the thing that made me feel dumb. It's like, oh... That's probably what tons of people try on their second or third loop mm-hmm. is hiding yourself in that closet. I didn't do that for a long time. You didn't? Yeah. Okay. Was there anything else that comes to mind that's like, oh, I should
1: have figured that out sooner? Actually, discovering one of the phone numbers, um, I did it wrong the first time because um, like, I took the phone that I needed, um, but I didn't. Do anything with it. I didn't do uh, what I needed to do to lock that number in. Gotcha. So yeah, um, I felt pretty stupid. Yeah. Uh, and
0: once you've interacted with that, you just assume, oh, that's I've exhausted all possibilities. Yeah, yeah. But there's more to it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And then some objects are red herrings. There are some objects you never need to interact <laughs> with. Right. So I'm. A, I'm a, this is another kind of minor spoiler, but in the kitchen area, there's a knife. You never need to touch that knife. You don't need to touch that knife. It's one of the first things I experimented with. (laughs) I used that knife in every way I could think of, but you actually don't need to touch that knife to get all the endings and to get the platinum on PlayStation. So I thought that was interesting. Um, When you pick up a phone, you know, one thing I thought of is what if I call 911? I did that. I did that. You don't ever
1: need to do that. You don't ever need to call 911, which is interesting too. So Response times are way too <laughs> yeah. way too long. You're you're dead before it matters. Yes.
0: Um and then I guess I just had one quick observation that I thought was interesting. These people don't have a TV.
1: Well, yeah. <laughs> they don't have a TV. They're they're a special kind of cable cutter. Yes. They <laughs> they go all the way with that, so um
0: yeah, I think that's about all I had on this one. Um Again, it's a very fragile game when it comes to spoilers. So for people who stuck it out and are maybe still interested in the game and uh, listened to our thoughts, I hope we didn't spoil too much. Um, I think there's a lot still that would surprise you if you went and played 12 Minutes. And even though I didn't give it the most glowing review, I'd still encourage a lot of people to check this out. If you like experimental stories, if you like time loops, um, if you like unraveling mysteries,
1: I think there's a lot in here that will give you some enjoyability. So I think I think of it um as sort of not quite as monumental in in game development as maybe before your eyes, but it sort of has it sort of has that feeling in in what time loop it's the time loop game that stood out, I think. Yeah. So
0: And it stood out in a time when we were getting lots of Time Loop games in one year. We got Lots of roguelikes. We got uh, The Forgotten City in one year. We got Deathloop in the same year. We got Returnal in the same year. Lots of these games came out in 2021. And I think all of them have an excuse to stand out. But this one certainly um, I thought was interesting to talk about for Underplayed. And uh, i glad we tried something weird and different. So that's our review of 12 Minutes. You can play it on PC, Mac, Nintendo Switch, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, and Xbox Series X and S. Disco Cola rated it a 7. I rated it a 4. That's the end of this episode of Underplayed. You can find more of our episodes at kzum.org underplayed and on common podcast services like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Our music was composed by Jack Rodenberg, and our art comes from Onimochi. Underplayed is on Twitter, at UnderplayedPod. You can find me on Twitter, at Bopo, that's B-O underscore P-O. And check out that same handle on the GG app, where you can see my game lists and what I'm currently playing.
1: And I am at Cola on Twitter and Twitch, off of Twitch for a while. Uh, although I did play both of these games, but uh, I'll be back eventually.
0: Next time, we will have two more secret games, and our featured review will cover Unpacking, an organization sim and puzzle game developed by Witchbeam. Until then, everyone, keep on playing.